from LPM. Louisville Public Media. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. Hi, I'm Kyla. And this is Jay. And you're listening to Strange Fruit on WFPL.org. All right, welcome back, everybody. Let's hop right into our Juicy Fruit segment. Hey, so I was perusing the newspaper today and found a very interesting story. So as you all know, my, uh, Mayor Bloomberg of New York City is on his way out the door. Uh, Bill de Blasio and the, his interracial first family are coming in soon. But I feel like Mayor Bloomberg is trying to cause as much ruckus as he can before he is gone. So for those of you all who have not heard, Mayor Bloomberg, he signed landmark legislation uh, on Tuesday that now it is illegal for anyone under 21 to buy cigarettes. So as most of you all know, I think it's it's, it's 18, right, at least in Kentucky, and I feel like everywhere else in the everywhere U.S. Everywhere else it's 18. If you're 18, you can buy your little your Newports and your, your Marlboro, whatever you smoke. <laughs> um, but Mayor Bloomberg has made New York the first large city that prohibits cigarette sales to young adults. I just don't um, understand what that's going to do. Like, what does that well, mean? Well, he says it's going to prevent young people from experimenting with tobacco. Now, I don't know who experiments with tobacco. I don't know who smokes it. Like, I don't feel like any of you know, like, but anyway, he feels like raising the age is going to somehow discourage young people as if somehow the so first, when you're 21 you're no longer young and I'm gonna say as if somehow the first cigarette we ever smoked we bought ourselves you know what I'm saying so it's not like I went and bought a pack of cigarettes I smoked somebody else's exactly. you know what I'm saying so and it wasn't until I decided to be a, a connoisseur of cigarettes yeah. that I decided to to buy my own but anyway yeah, y'all know y'all know what he did with the with the with the with the big sodas he got to try to get rid of the big sodas uh, he did the little stop and frisk situation. Now he oh, has raised yeah. the, you know, I, I just feel like he is just kind of really out of touch with how how things are going and what his what his perception is of public safety mm-hmm. and public welfare is just completely skewed. I don't know, but again, he is a rich white dude, multimillionaire, if not a billionaire. And he, I think they're usually out of touch with what's really going on, you know? Yeah, so, and what really, like, helps and aids in community safety and, you know. Now, mind you, know the what... cigarettes are already ten fifty a pack in New York. <laughs> Ten fifty a pack. I love ten fifty a 1050 pack. Ten fifty a pack. You know, and I think the people of New York City, I guess, I would guess, are probably fed up. You know, you have Bloomberg. Do they still sell Lucy's like for twenty five cents? Oh yeah, well, that, yeah, exactly. You, you get the uh, bullet, you about a cigarette for a quarter. Okay. But I think the people of New York City are finally fed up with the kind of these uh, these last few Republican mayors who've been really out of touch with people of color, especially. And so, uh, you know, props to people of New York City for electing the first Democratic mayor in quite some time. So, uh, mm. yeah, that's that. What else do we have to talk about? Well, uh, psychopath George Zimmerman is on the loose again. Oh, child. What is he up to? <laughs> so he was recently arrested for a domestic violence incident his involving girlfriend. his girlfriend. Yeah. Apparently they got into an argument and he pulled a gun on her. He pulled a shotgun out. Okay. Oh, it's a shotgun. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, she called 911 and was saying that, you know, he was, he's threatening her. He pulled a gun out and all this. And apparently he like choked her up last week. And, like, and of course <laughs> Zimmerman's uh, attorneys and everybody is denying it and he has some kind of public defender now so i guess times is hard it's just it's Um, ridiculous you know yeah i mean well yeah and it's just you know it illuminates the fact that this this guy is a nut i mean even in the case of trayvon martin he had called the authorities 225 times on false charges so he just doesn't seem to be all there but we'll see that because he pulled this gun on the white woman he he got acquitted because he also had like threatened his wife his estranged wife shortly after he got released so this is a second domestic violence and he got pulled over like for speed and, and, and he had that gun in the yeah. glove compartment oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so he's just that. been in all the that. news 
you know, Somebody recently. Said, uh, maybe he'll be convicted under, under Florida's uh, 13 strikes and you're out. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, maybe. Because, know, it, I like, mean, what? it's absolutely ridiculous. And then on a more, you know, sad yeah. note and creepy note, um, last night I was just perusing um, social networking as I do, as per usual. And Madame Noir, which is a magazine that's like a high fashion makeup yeah, magazine, like, yeah. um, and has interest, human interest stories. Um, a father, Merrick McCoy of Colorado, um, shot his toddler daughter yeah. Mia in the head, and, and then, then shot him, himself. and then tried to kill himself. But he's on life support, and before he did this, he went on Facebook and was taunting his baby's mother yeah. um, of the toddler, and said, "I told you I can't live without you. Laugh out loud. You thought I was joking. Now me and Mia out this bitch. Don't judge me. Had no choice." And he was 22 when he shot his toddler daughter. Yeah, and it's come out that he has been a possessive, um, violent. Uh, controlling, you know, partner to his baby's mother, uh, mm-hmm. and everyone kind of and, knew that he was crazy, yeah. but and and knew that he uh, had these kind of strong feelings of possessiveness. Um, but it seems like you no know, one ever really addressed it as, as a domestic violence situation, mm-hmm. which also illuminates the, the point that a lot, a lot of states in dating relationships, you cannot get EPOs, yep. you cannot get any kind of protection. Kentucky is one of those states. If you all do not cohabitate, you cannot get protection against someone that you're not married to. Mm-hmm. That same gender partners, that's opposite gender partners, and I think that people really have to begin to review these laws. We talk so much about domestic violence and dating violence, intimate partner violence, but the lawmakers seem to refuse to really do what it takes to protect our young mothers, young women, even young men who are in these abusive relationships, you know, and mm-hmm. and here we have a toddler who's dead, you know? Exactly. Yeah, meanwhile, he alive. Exactly. You know? Exactly. The so the, ba- the baby, and you know, and so that was a really, really disturbing story. And then yeah. lastly, yeah, this was... past weekend, we went to the movies to see... Best Man Holiday. Yes. Yeah, it was good. Oh, my and God. I, I, that stayed, movie. I stayed awake for the whole thing, which Jay, is rare, child. Jay stayed awake for the whole <laughs> thing, and he paid attention. I did. And, and he was crying. Child, cry. And I, I, I was... was... Girl, I wasn't crying, girl. I was... First of all. First of all, I had, something was in my eye, girl, and it had just water a little MJ bit. MJ was crying. <laughs> MJ was crying. Everybody in the theater crying. I can't front. It was, I was uh... laughing. I mean, I really almost feel like, in some ways, it topped the 99 uh, Oh, first... it was, yeah, it was better than the original by far. Yeah. I think so. I mean... It gave the characters a lot more depth. We knew a lot I more about so. them. It gave mm-hmm. them a, a lot more complexity. You know, and I, 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 it was just brilliant. Shoot. I, and, I just, a, and, and it seems like everybody lived. Even the white folks in the movie with the was crying. Oh, oh and, yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of the white people that were in there hadn't seen the seen first the original, one. Yeah. You know, because it's been so long. But it was uh, the movie only cost $17 million to make. But in its first, first weekend, week. it, it made $30.1 million. And it was second and it was, only to Thor. Yeah. yeah, and it was second to Thor, and it was a huge contender with Thor, actually. And what was very interesting is, you know, USA Today had that story. Yeah, they had um, a headline that was like... <laughs> talking about... A race uh, And film. let me tell you something, USA Today. You should be ashamed of yourself. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. first of all, that language is so antiquated. It's like, what race editor? <laughs> what editor let your newspaper or let whatever journalist somehow Tweet release that, that this, theme, yeah. a movie with race theme? First of all, it wasn't race theme. They didn't talk about blackness being black being black in america once in that movie once in the two hours and almost 20 minutes of the film no one speaks about their blackness why because the entire cast is black so there's no need to talk about their blackness when you we know you as white moviegoers see see it as black yeah yeah. but it was friendship about love and loss and and those kind of things and being and and being a young 
uh, cosmopolitan, successful yeah, group uh, of friends. Yeah. You know, and, and, and and this is the, this is the problem. This is the problem. What it really says to me, and what it shows is just how um, insidiously jealous and racist, um, even you know, journalists can be. That you're and, so and salty. Folks, folks you're business, so yeah, yeah. And in the entertainment industry, they get so upset when black films that show black people being beautiful and um, elegant yeah. yeah beautiful and elegant and not cooning out yeah. yeah and not cooning out it's not an enslavement film it's not a, a film in which we're picking cotton or which we're maids or which we're animals right it's a film in which we look beautiful we're successful we're educated and we're the lead character so right? we're, not, we're not supporting some yeah. white we're not and supporting if anything there's one white character in the film and they and make fun of him yeah yeah but, <laughs> I, but I was gonna say you know and, and, and first of all race race uh what the, what they call it a what movie? Race themed. Race I mean, themed. I'm like, like, is this like Birth a of a Nation? Yeah, like, is, this a is this 1935? <laughs> yeah. Is this 1935 yeah. Birth of a Nation? Yeah. Race records, race themed. I mean, who yeah. even uses that language anymore? But, but as somebody pointed out online, I think it's a very, uh, a, a very, very good point. If, if simply having a people of color cast makes a race themed, yeah. Then Civil Lines Playbook, Mean Girls, those are race themed films. Yeah, exactly. Was, mean Girls is white. a race themed film. Civil Lines Playbook, you know, Hunger, <laughs> you know, like yeah. those because they're all white people, you know. So anyway, exactly. And I agree. And and, and Black Twitter let them have it, honey. Yeah, they did. And they had to issue an apology they that did, same day. They did, they did. So, so that's have, what you get. Have you all seen, have you all seen Best Friend Holiday? Did you, hopefully y'all loved it the same way we did. On another note, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Black Nativity, uh, oh, it, you know, yeah. which of course okay. uh, it comes from the Langston Hughes uh, play. And so it's uh, presented in a very modern way with Jennifer Hudson and for some Whitaker. And I think it's going to be really cute. You know, I love Second Child. I love Jennifer Hudson, honey, ever since she was on American Idol. I love that dream girl. <laughs> I know. So, we uh, saw that preview. I was like, yeah. Jay going to go see this. So uh, yeah, well, we're going to make sure we check that out uh, and we'll let you know what we think so anyway that is uh, our juicy fruit for this week and so doc we have a very interesting guest which we're hype about yes who is he uh gerard h gaskin and the he is a legend yeah. the legendary gerard h gaskin who is a well-known photographer who just recently came out with his new book legendary inside the house ballroom scene it's like a coffee table book of like photos for balls that he's t- accumulated over 20 years of, a t- of, of photographing and it's absolutely sick. oh yes yeah, yeah we got some we got some press <laughs> photos and uh it's really really hot so we are looking forward to this but you know we're ballroom connoisseurs and so we want y'all to stick around and check out this interview here with Gerard H. Gaskin. Hi, my name is Gerard H. Gaskin, photographer, born Trinidad, grew up Queens, New York. All right, cool. So your newest book is called uh, Legendary Inside the House Ballroom Scene. You are certainly a celebrated photographer. You have partnered with Def Jam Records, Mercury Records. Your work has been everywhere. What what uh, made you decide after all these years to uh, take your ballroom photos and, and create a book? You know, I've always wanted to um, create a book on my ballroom photos. I, I mean, I am... I mean, I've worked with, you know, numerous magazines, numerous record companies and all that kind of stuff. But to me, the the, the real essence of being a photographer is, is the fine artwork, is the work that you have more control over. Because, you know, when you work for Def Jam or whoever, there's a lot of control, you know. People like, oh, you, you need to take it this way. You know, <laughs> there's, there's so much more to it. And then to me, it's not so much you then telling a story it's not you kind of bringing to light something that no one's seen um you know it's a photograph of a famous person really you know so uh i think that's the reason why um i really wanted this stuff to become a book because i you know to me it's my fine art stuff it's the stuff mm-hmm. that i love more um you know it's like a bad thing 
to say, but yeah, but it's a passion. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. tell tell us, Gerard, what was your first experience like going into a ball? And I know it's been you've been going to balls for twenty years, but if you could possibly uh, remember you the know, first time, yeah, you went Ooh. to a ball and the type of impact it had on you. I tell you, uh, the first time I was completely petrified. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I mean, you know, it's. I mean, I I was. You know, 19 years old. Mm. Um, you know, I went to a ball. I think actually Dorian Corey. Yes. You're talking about a name from Mother yeah. Dorian. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, did uh, and I was. Ooh, you know, I all I did was just watch. Mm. Um, the person who kind of introduced me to the the scene, a, a gentleman named Douglas, says he, he took me. And we all, all I did was watch. Um, I didn't <laughs> raise my camera one second. Um, and it was, to me, like I said, the energy of being there, the energy of the participants, the energy, I mean, you know, when, when you know, 500 people or say 50, you know, Ebony's on one side and, you know, 50 Mizrahi's um, on one yeah. side yelling, Mizrahi, Ebony, Mizrahi. I mean, Jesus Christ. So it was the yeah. whole thing. It was the, the environment, the, the oh, fact yeah. that it was shoved, the right? Ener- it was, the energy of, of it all, yeah. Yeah, and oh, the improv... Yeah. You know, I, I would imagine for a photographer, you were really overwhelmed too by just the presentation of performance, like in, in specific categories. Like, yeah. what category, if you don't mind me, is the person in... The cover, for the cover of your book. Out of the six. Is that, is that a runway picture, if you know the picture we're thinking of, the, the, the cover of your yeah. book? Yeah, that's a runway. Yeah. Oh! Exactly. Yeah. You got it. Did, um, did they and, win? And <laughs> yeah. Okay. He won, and he won grand prize, okay. that thing, uh, you know... I know it was in the thousands of dollars. Yeah. How much exactly? Mm. Um, I can't. I can't tell you. Yeah. Um, and his name is Taz, and he's mm. he's an amazing young man. Um, you know, he also does windows for for the Gap, and um, you know, he's yeah, really is. creative as you know creative can be. You and know? That, that's very int- yeah. you know. And I think people who are not of the ballroom scene or don't know about the ballroom scene don't mm. understand. Uh, the the beauty of that it really does take art and talent and that a lot of people in the ballroom scene have been able to translate their ballroom talent to the real world. I mean, certainly we know about Vogue Evolution and Mm -hmm. Laomi and people who have kind of uh, transitioned from the underground scene to mainstream television. But ball kids are working in fashion design. They're working in photography. They're working in music videos. They're doing so many different different things. But let me ask you this. As far as I understand, you got kind of your start uh, photographing the film queens of the scene, right? So this way back in the day. Talk Talk a bit about how that came to be and who some of those early film queens were that allowed you to kind of photograph their lives. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, I, well, like I said, I I met Douglas. Uh, actually, I met Douglas through, through another makeup artist named Choir Fire. And Choir Fire at that point was Whitney Houston's main makeup artist. Okay. Mm. And I kind of just, you know, you know, I met him. He actually worked with a photographer that I worked for, and um, and I met Douglas. And Douglas knew all the femme queens because Douglas designed clothes for most of the femme queens. And he, like I said, Douglas is a designer. Um, his name is Douglas Says, and he did all the designs for the femme queens. So I photographed Angene, Octavia, 
Danielle, uh, Tanae, um, Keisha, yeah. um, gosh, Stephanie, um, a couple of uh, extravaganzas, I, I can't mm-hmm. think, Angie, Infinity, um, Jennifer Legend, um, Keisha Revlon at the time, uh, uh, Shawnee. Gosh, all the legendary film queens. Can you tell us what your favorite category in the balls are? Ooh, God. Well, your favorite, um, no, you can do top five, because I have <laughs> I have several, too. Yeah. I can't ever narrow yeah, it down to one. Yeah, that's what I would say. Um, you know, I love uh, Femme Queen Sex Siren. Mm. Um, I love Runway Open for All. I think Runway Open for All is if not, yeah, it's one of my top five. Yeah. I mean, to, you know, to to see Twiggy do his thing or, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, what. I mean, I remember even Albert used to do Runway. Yeah. Uh, uh, Albert the Santana, Albert, yeah, yeah. Big Boy Runway, yeah. you know. <laughs> and um, I love, I mean, I love, you know, Vogue Dramatics. I mean, that's kind of a hard not, not to like that's that. Right there, yeah, and yeah. then I then I like Butch Green Body. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there we go. A variety of categories, that's... yeah, yeah. And see, what I find so fascinating, and I wonder if you uh, will agree with me, Gerard, what I find fascinating about the ball scene is the negotiation that each participant within this kind of LGBT community uh, participates and the ways in which they participate. Because they really kind of remix and improvise what it means to be raced as a person, what gender means, what sexuality means. They kind of turn all these identities that we take for granted, right, or yeah. that we assume to represent a certain yes, thing. Yes, for example, the idea of like a cowboy myth. sex siren. So it's a yeah. mainstream society sex siren is very Tyrese, Tyson Beckford. But in the Boston, you have cowboy sex siren, which allows for a more uh, slightly built or feminine dude to also exhibit the fact that you can be, uh, if you will, a queen and still be sexy. Definitely. Would, would, you, would you agree that, that that that's really kind of a there's room for everybody at the ball yes. at the balls? Well, that that's 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 the thing. I think that's the thing. This, I mean, this is a community that that plays with all of those things that you guys talk about. Mm. And I, I think, I mean, you know, that's the magic of it, you know. Um, I remember I was talking to someone and I was saying, you know, this is not a drag show, mm, you know. Yeah. This is a ball where everybody participates. You can be you know, all, all yeah. across the whole spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. from Butch Queen up in pumps to, you know, to realness as a twist. I mean, you know, we're, you know, and all, I mean, and that, like you said, that's, that's that play between... You know what it is to be masculine, what it is to be feminine, what it is to be, you know, you know, all the other things, you know, and uh, and then then also then play with the idea of what gender represents or what it means. <laughs> so, can you tell us um, that did uh, your, your book? You have a lot of photos in your book. Did the majority of those photos come from New York City where the scene started many years ago, or did you get? You know, we know you were in New York and Baltimore and Philly, or did you also branch out to the Carolinas, Virginia, the Midwest? Where did you kind of uh, come up with all these photos over the years? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they mainly they start in New York. I'm from New York, um, mm-hmm. so I mean, I kind of found the scene in New York um, in the early '90s, um, and then I ventured out. I, you know, I mean, the first venture was in New Jersey, and then Philadelphia, and then Washington D.C., and then I went to Boston. Um, and then I went to Atlanta. Um, it's only now, only recently in the last maybe two or three years that I've kind of like started venturing out into like the Carolinas and Ohio and Virginia and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, 
I haven't gone to Texas or California yet. No balls. <laughs> not yet. We'll have to get you down here to Kentucky. Soon. It's for one of our balls, yeah. What has been the response to the book so far, right? I know that you've been at a couple of events showcasing the book, doing a couple of exhibits. What has been the overall response from about the book? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I it's it's interesting because you know, you get um opinions from a, a completely different Demographics, demographics of people. You know, Mm -hmm. I met um, a professor (laughs) at uh, Duke University who teaches African dance at Duke University, Mm -hmm. and I mean, you know, he's sitting there, and you know, he did a book on Alvin Ailey, and he's just like, oh my God, I I have to bring you back down here. I mean, because this is American, and this is American black dance. You know, and so, Mm -hmm. so it's amazing that. It kind of has all these different roots, you know, from you know, from dance to fashion to you know, gender to acting, to, yeah, to performance. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, this so in context, there, you know, like I said, people, you know, are attaching themselves to all of these little spaces in the book, and you know, then the, the other thing is, then, then you know, then we have discussions just about, I mean, how it was and. And then even looking at the images of the people who passed, and you go, wow, I remember so-and-so. Oh, my God, you know, and, you know, that kind of thing, too. So it's amazing, you know. Now, I know that in your book, I know that you published through Duke University Press. You have an introductory essay by Frank Roberts, who a lot of folks know is is both a ball kid and also kind of a a ball historian and an Mm -hmm. academic himself. How important was it for you to have someone who's within the ball scene contribute in terms of, of, of this introductory essay uh, for your book. And what was the reaction I mean, from the press for that? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, that was like paramount. paramount. I mean, I, you know, I literally had to kind of go to bat for Frank. I mean, we, it's interesting because I sat down with Frank almost 13 years ago. I think it's probably been around 2002, 2003. And we shopped it to... Simon and Schuster, and I remember us going up there, and I said to him, you know, and he, you know, of course, he was working with his own PhD, and of course, he was trying to get that as a book. I said, look, whoever gets a book, <laughs> we're gonna have to, you know, we have to collaborate. Yeah. And I said to him, you know, and I remember when I got the deal. Of, I think he was like maybe the second or third person I called, uh, you know, other than my parents. I was like, Frank, get ready. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, you know, we're gonna get it. We're gonna get something. And I remember the first couple of times I would talk to the people at Duke, and they're like, "Uh, we just want you and and Doctor <laughs> Deb Willis to put something." I said, "No, I'm not gonna put anything in this book. Mm. Oh, you got my pictures. Yeah, Frank yeah. needs to be in this book. Frank needs to represent the community. You know, blah blah blah. So it 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 was. I mean, it was so important that you don't even know." I mean, yeah. So people who don't know a lot about the ball scene, who've only perhaps seen it in Paris is Burning or have seen it on MTV, have seen it in Beyonce's videos. What do you think an outsider has to learn or what would you want to impart to those people who are kind of these outsiders looking in, these gazing eyes? What would you want them to know about ball kids, about the ball scene, about the black and and Latino uh, urban youth and transgender people who are oftentimes misunderstood? What have you learned over your 20 years and what do you think that folks who are outsiders looking in have to learn both from your book and from learning more about the ball scene itself? Well, I think the first thing is it's that it's a space 
a safe space. You know, it's a space that they created, that they've, you know, come and and created this space where they can compete with each other, we can play with the ideas of what it is, what it is, gender and realness and and performance, and you know, and play with all of those ideas. And um, you know, outsiders looking in, I, you know, I just hope that they can see the, you know, the passion and 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 the passion that they have for what they do. Number one, and also, you know, that I mean, that they're human beings, and that you know, we are part of this, you know, overall world. And and it's it's just, you know, here's just a little snippet of what the scene is about. Because I don't, I can't really say that, you know, I'm the ultimate thing. Because I mean, there's been other things. I just hope that they can just look at it and say, "Wow, this is this is amazing. This is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Why I've never seen this before." Um, and you know. Something like that. Yeah. And like, all right, let me tell you where the next ball is. <laughs> yeah, like, how did I not know such beauty existed in the world, right? And right. especially yeah. against an urban landscape, against an urban backdrop. And despite what you're saying, the social and political positions that people of color, LGBT people, trans individuals have in society, despite the circumstances in which they endure and live through, yeah. they are able yeah. to come together and celebrate one another for all of these things that larger society seems to bog them down with and, and make them suppress. I mean, I live, I live for the ball, honey. Yeah. So how can our our listeners get a hold of your book? Where is it at? Give us your website. Um, first, they can get it on Amazon. They can get it at Barnes & Noble. They can also get it on, at, on Duke University Press website. Um, I'm trying to, you know, get around and do book signings around the country. So that's another thing that I'm going to try to do. And they can also get me on Facebook, um, Gerard H. Gaskin uh, Photography on Facebook. Um, and that's probably the best place because then I post stuff and all that kind of stuff. And then I, you can also get at me on Twitter and Gaskin for you. On Twitter. Awesome. Well, the legendary photographer Gerard H. Gaskin, uh, his new book is called Legendary Inside the House Ballroom Scene. Make sure you get it from Duke University Press. Mr. Gaskin, thanks so much for being with us. We have uh, had a good time hanging out with you. Yes. And we hope to see you in person here in Louisville, perhaps, doing a book signing at one of our local bookstores. Yes. So. I would love to do that. And um, thank you guys again. It was, like I said, I love having conversation with the, you know, the people who live for the balls because yes. I live for the balls, you yes. know? Yes, yes, Good. thank and we, you. And we live for you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. So I live. So if you want to know what to get me for Christmas, Doc, you can feel free to get me Gerard's <laughs> book. He said it's on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and I'll get it for you, too. How about oh, that? Okay, <laughs> yes, we can do that. I'm definitely getting it, honey. I'm very excited yeah. about it. And um, I'm so excited about this recent ball visibility that's been um, coming out and it's more it's a visibility that's not like a Beyonce copy or Madonna copy. It's coming from individuals within that scene. Definitely. And that's that's due to both, you know, RuPaul and her Jag Race show. That's due that's due to all the ball kids that were getting made from success. That's due to Mm -hmm. people like Gerard. I'm just I'm just really I'm loving this ballroom movies that was uh bring it bring it on the floor. Bring it to the floor. Oh yeah, bring it to the floor. Which even a lot of people live for the movie, but it but at least was was uh, truer to life than a lot of other kind of depictions of ballroom life. Mm -hmm. So we are really hyped. As we record this, it's Wednesday in Louisville, but uh, we are celebrating uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance. And then this is a national celebration, probably international, in fact, where we take this time to recognize and remember all those folks who are the trans spectrum, who are victims of murder, uh, who have been killed over the last year. And just since this time last year, 
there's been more than 57 and counting people who have been murdered, who have been burned alive, who have been beheaded, who have been raped, who have been stabbed, who have been shot. And it's all across uh, this country and internationally who have been murdered simply because they were trans. And so uh, I am lucky enough to be able to emcee uh, that event today uh, in Louisville. It's hosted by Sienna which is the local trans uh, advocacy organization, and then also the Presbyterian Seminary, uh, which is headquartered here in Louisville. Uh, I'm lucky enough to, to emcee this event, and so uh, it's really an honor. And I'm going to especially today remember my good friend and my sister Nikki Williams was murdered back in 2008. Uh, you probably heard us talk about her on the show before and in, in the previous media stuff. But uh, anyway, so just take a moment today, y'all, to reflect and remember both friends and also folks you don't know who are murdered uh, simply because they were trans folks. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, listen, y'all, we are out of time. We got to go. But we will see y'all back when? Next week. Next week. All right. <laughs> Take it easy, Bye. y'all. Bye-bye. Strange Fruit is produced by 89.3 WFPL in Louisville, Kentucky. Our producer is Laura Ellis. For more information on Strange Fruit, go to WFPL.org. Find us on Facebook or visit us on Twitter at Strange Fruit Pod. The views presented on Strange Fruit do not reflect those of WFPL, its staff, or its underwriters. I'm Jason Gardner. And I'm Kyla Story. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org.